Hi, everybody. My name's Sam. And my name's Ben. And we're the, the Book Fair, Fair Boys. Boys. <laughs> Great. Do you think we got it? It's it's wonderful, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably not. I really hope, <laughs> yeah, I really hope that we find a way to use it. It's phenomenal. All right. We're recording. We are recording. Um, we're back, baby. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, how do you want to intro this this episode? But it seems like that's the way to do it. <laughs> book Fair Boys. What's the what's the thing? It's Shady's back, back again. But it's, we can't really read out Book Fair Boys. BBF. Books uh, are back. Guess books back are back. Again. Guess who's yeah, back. Back again. Back again. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, books were gone while we were away. Yeah, but welcome back to books, everybody. I guess we'll we'll just get into it. Um, so we're already Tarver. Are you are you ready? Are you feeling? Yeah, jazz? yeah I'm okay. all set. All right. Uh, well, who's welcome. that, Sam? Oh my God, that's a great question. Well, first of all, my name is Sam. I'm Ben. And we are the Book Fair Boys. Uh, and joining us today, we have a very special guest. Um, he is a member of our writers group. He is a, I guess, would you say speculative fiction author? Yeah, yeah, that's the term I'm going by these days. Yeah, yeah. cool. I'm, I'm not a book fair boy. I'm just a regular boy. So, just <laughs> in a regular world. Yeah. Um, and uh, what is your what is your day job title? Or your night job title? Uh, workflow coordinator. Nice. nice. Which that's a which, good title. Well, yeah, it, it's very <laughs> ambiguous. Um, I know I, that's. The, I like those titles though. Those yeah. are the best kind of titles where it's like, oh, I you could literally be an assassin right now. Mm-hmm. Like you could be coordinating the workflow right. on very specific projects that are legal or not legal. Exactly. Um, As you know, it, so yeah. As it happens, <laughs> I do the non-legal side of uh, legal work. I make sure that... Not the illegal, yeah. the non-legal. We want to be <laughs> yeah. very specific yeah. here. Yeah, there's oh, yeah. an important clarification Semantics. Here. Yeah. Um, no, I work on a... Uh, the, the broad idea is that I work for a law firm's document team. So the lawyers are good at very many things. Uh, formatting and uh, arranging their documents are not always one of them. So we make sure that they're in the right format, converting PDFs to Word... Uh, making sure they're laid out properly, formatted properly, so that they work for the attorneys. Nice. nice. Yes. Okay, so um, regular boy, speculative fiction author, and mm-hmm. workflow coordinator, yes, Tarver Nova. Thanks Doing for joining us. Work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, man. I'm really excited to talk to you about Animorphs. Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, one of those areas where I try not to be a super fan and especially as the years have gone by it's tempting whenever I hear somebody say oh Animorphs what <laughs> and not I have to hold myself back from just jumping down their throat right then and there like, <laughs> do you remember that time back well, in 97 I know that word I also <laughs> I have a significant amount of time and emotional energy invested in that word as well mm-hmm. that's like the Thank moment you. in movies when people are like oh, I haven't heard that name and they like pull their their collar back or something and it's like a and tattoo. there's a tattoo yep. yeah <laughs> yeah yep. the animorphs tattoo um but it, so I we just wanted to talk to uh, because when we first told our writers group you know we're doing book fair boys uh, we're doing go- we're doing some goosebumps episodes now and then we're gonna get into animorphs and some other um you know young adult and kids novels that we liked when we were younger adults and kids um tarver was very stoked um he like put his hands in the air he was like oh i love animorphs yeah. he was pulled like, okay, back his gotta... shirt there was a tattoo there yeah. <laughs> oh yeah he had the tattoo so we were like that's how we know he's yep. gonna be important in the third act um <laughs> and uh so he like disappears in the second act and comes back with the horses or some shit you know um tarver the white yeah tarver the white yeah so yeah, we're excited to have you on today and just to like talk about your experiences with this series, like reading it as a kid and um, you sort of, I get the sense that you feel like it's not cool to be an Animorphs fan now. Well. Or like not as cool as it has been. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is uh, since it is now an older series, came out back in 96, um, it, it, not everybody knows about it anymore um, and it's certainly not in regular circulation so 
I don't think I ever had any issue with reading it and having people think that it was uncool exactly. Um, I guess I didn't really even know Not a lot. Not exactly. Of, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I mean, any <laughs> sci-fi spec fantasy stuff you'd read, there, there's somebody out there. But I was never worried about that. Uh, but then I never really did know anybody in when I was actively reading it who was also reading it curiously. Hmm, so I have a question for you, Tarver. Yeah. Um, I have. A, I get the sense that so all fandoms have two groups of people, right? They've got well, they've got several groups of people, but it's easier to say there's two. Um, they've got the groups of people that are super fans, like they read every book, they were very into it, and then they've got the people who like liked the idea and mm -hmm. like were along for the ride for a bit mm -hmm. and faded. I feel like Animorphs is disproportionately like because it's something that you pick up when you're like in sixth or seventh grade, right, and you read it for a few years, I feel like it's disproportionately weighted towards the group of people that like like the idea of being Animorphs fans like maybe never finished the series. And to be frank, I, I'm a part of that group. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, first off, hey, did you finish the series? Are we talking about like all 61 books, the Annie or whatever, Andalite Chronicles, like all of the things? Did you read everything? So almost everything. Uh, and then came back to the, the very, very end. So that's the weird part is like, for most of my Animorphs career, uh, <laughs> I, I was that super fan, and I was reading all of the offshoots as well as the new books, or like the regular okay. mainline series, mainline. That's, uh, so I, I did read the uh, the larger ones and the choose your own adventure ones. And uh, wait, hold on, there are choose your own adventures animorphs books. Have I got news for you, Sam? Get out of town. There are multiple. I think there were two. My goodness. Choose. Let me double check. Alternomorphs. Alternomorphs. Yeah, there, wow. were, there were two of them. Also written by Catherine. Well, that's uh, yes. They're all purportedly okay. written by K. A. Applegate. I, uh, I think that she. I think she wrote her stuff. I really get the vibe that like because I I read pretty deep into the series, right? Have I'm I got not saying that? Have I got news for you, Ben? <laughs> oh no! Really? Oh, hit me. Yeah. So I mean, she. Okay. I, I have a lot of respect for the way she did it. She, uh, I think, like the 20s on, uh, most of them were f almost fully ghostwritten, except she was deeply involved in at least the plotting of every book. She mm. wrote out very detailed outlines. She wrote out very deep, deep specifics. And, of course, everybody had uh, a very deep sense of who her characters were. So she had a lot of creative control. But her and her editor mostly just off, uh, put ghostwriters behind almost all this of the. This feels very apocryphal. Yeah. How, uh, how do um, you. Where is this? How do you know this? I'm curious. I think I just found it on the Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I think we sort of talked about that too. Um, her husband, Michael Grant, wrote uh, a fair number of the Animorphs. And I think he also. Um, the one that I'm looking at right now is the Elemist Chronicles. Did you read yeah. that one, Tarver? Yep. Yeah. I don't okay. remember any of this. Yeah. I love that this is true, but I don't remember any of this. Yep. Um, no, she and and like I said, I looking back, these things were coming out like every month, every other month. Uh if yeah. you look at the publishing history, there were some like every month of the summer, every other month during the winter. I I I don't know how I would do it. Um, <laughs> I remember, you know, that was sort of the thing with like um, when Jeff Vandermeer did the Border Trilogy, he mm -hmm. planned to release them pretty close by, you know, I think two books, two and three were separated by about four months. And then Mark Danielewski had a series of books that he was trying to do. He was like, I want to make books like a Netflix TV series. Um, but I feel like that sort of idea was already around with Animorphs. Like the, epi the episodes mm -hmm. were pretty close together. And, and Goosebumps, too. You know, yep. there were like three or four of those coming out every year. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the structure of Animorphs, and, you know, obviously all of our listeners will hear that. This is in the future. We're, we're speaking to you from the future, listeners. Um, <laughs> we talked a lot about the structure and how, like, they're very clearly built like a traditional television show mm -hmm. where you have your sort of, you know, two-chapter introduction that shows you, like, okay, if you haven't, watched the previous Animorphs episodes. This is what's happening. They're going to talk about the Yerks. They're going to talk about what they do. Somebody's going to be surprised about morphing. 
or like at the very least there's going to be some sort of like little mini adventure where we get to show everybody's powers and also develop personalities. Um, it's very clear like you have this sort of formulaic setup. I mean, it's kind of perfectly made for you know that kind of exporting or writer's room style right. of, mm -hmm. um, of mass production. Though but, a lot of those same lines, I really did have, uh, I, I was always impressed back then that they were able to still move the story forward. Um, there, you, if you threw yourself in at book eight versus 18 versus 28, there were wild, huge changes between each one of them. I mean, to think that, you know, at the very, very beginning, you didn't have Axe. Uh, Tobias yeah. couldn't mm -hmm. morph for a series of books. It just there was so much new discovery over the course of the series, too. So, Yeah, and I, I would venture to guess that that's another reason it maybe didn't catch on as much as right. like Goosebumps or um, the other huge series because you couldn't just jump into it. Although I did, um, my first day of third grade, I was reading a number 12, and mm -hmm. there was a kid who sat next to me who was reading number 16, and I was like, oh, you're further than me. Um, and he was like, no, I just jump around in the series. And I was appalled. Oh, how do you, um, do, how could you? I'm, and I, I am appalled as well. Yeah. And I, uh, we became. He was me. He was the number one <laughs> yeah. kind of fan. Actually, we did, we did become the best of friends for many years. Um, big I'm shout sure. out to Jake. <laughs> oh, his name was Jake. Oh, his name was, was Jake. Wow. Yeah. Uh, um, the worst Animorph. And, and I think because there was uh, always some contextualizing, uh, as Ben noted, I'm sure there were some people that could just pick it up, especially because if mostly while you're reading is to see people be able to transform into animals and see how that's like and then see the fight scenes and stuff like that. Sure. But I can definitely say that it, there's a higher entry point here because there's so much context that you need to dive in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you just don't have like you you don't have to worry about that with goosebumps or anything like that. But then I wonder if that's why you still get super fans because you you can get deep into it and you can like oh think about this book affected that book and especially once you get into the side stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, like the Elemis Chronicles. Yeah, they definitely love deep lore, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like. The thing I, I think from a mass production perspective that Animorphs does really well that's super interesting is its deep lore seems to be something that can usually... So I don't want to say can be communicated in the first two chapters because the first two chapters are more, to me, like a previously on, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if we're thinking of the structure, it's usually like previously on and you get, you know, your quick, you know, setup of like, here are the relationships, here's the dynamics, here's what's happening, here's who everyone is. And here's a mini adventure that explains what morphing is and what, you know, the powers are and what the Yerks are, who the enemy is, you know, what's going on. Um, then you have your main setup. And I feel like that, or sort of your setup for your main monster of the week plot. And I feel like that's the typical Animorph. So it's, it's kind of, it's like iterative, uh, sorry, iterative. I can say that word. It's iterative, right? Like it's not like you could jump in on book 16 and you would get a sense of what happened in book 15, and you'd also understand all the clear relationships. You might miss out on some previous stuff, but they're always gonna like have their major reference points. They're gonna go back to like, oh, you know, Prince Elfangor, who gave his life for us. Like mm -hmm. they're gonna like talk about him. They're gonna talk about like, oh, when we got the power of the, to morph, they're gonna like have some random, like just dropped lines that are gonna give context. I don't know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to guess make any specific point other than, um, it seems like oh, I'm getting guys. So I'm in Africa right now. Our water is not working, and um, my neighbor is just gesturing at me to try to see if our water tank is is filled. So get <laughs> to um, Ben's neighbor, like I'm gonna fucking kill you. He's like, I gotta. Uh, he's like, check I need the water. my fucking water. Yeah. So I'm gonna just really quickly summarize. I'm not trying to make a larger point, other than like I think the mythology is something that's interesting about this, and that it's deep. But it also like has the ability to be recontextualized each episode. It feels like right, a right. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? Where if you start on, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was progressive, 
But if you like, you start in the middle of season three, like you're gonna get your previously on and you're gonna have your context to understand, okay, this is what's happening in the musical episode. I don't know why the fuck this is a musical episode, but I get that I understand the relationships and what's happening here. Right. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing about what she did. I want to get your reaction. So I'm going to be back, but feel free to react while I'm away. So two seconds. <laughs> okay. Well, there are a lot of TV shows that do that. I mean, a lot of like kids cartoons, um, you know, like, I don't know why Danny Phantom is the first one that comes to mind, but shows like that where it was like, here's how I got my powers. And now I have oh. powers and I fight ghosts and shit. And mm-hmm. I was like, blah, 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 like the theme song goes and it's really quick, but you get a sense of like, what the deal is um, without necessarily having to feel left out or feel like you have to dive back to get into it. Although there are characters that recur and um, I think Danny Phantom was definitely a show that had some forward momentum to it. Like, like stuff changed and happened. Um, Right. So a lot of similarities to Animorphs. Um, Though probably uh, I feel like if anything, you can get bogged down in Animorphs with all the terminology and, like, I mean, you got Yerks and you got their Condrona rays and you got all yeah. the different characters. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I So, and I'm curious, you know, um, when we were first talking about, like, getting ready for this episode, you said that you were, like, looking back at um, some things that your mom had or something you were talking yeah. to your mom about Animorphs. Like, how did you first discover Animorphs and what did you learn from your mom recently about that experience like like yeah. your perspective of living at then and your perspective looking back now so uh, and you know part of why I didn't initially remember how I got into it in the first place was because I didn't as far as I can remember actively pick them out on the bookshelf so context the books came out in 96 in 96 I was moving out to California with my mother moving from North Dakota to California um, and she worked uh, out in California as a uh, manager for a bookstore mm-hmm. so uh, there, there was a regular course of uh, <laughs> books coming in I had a healthy diet of goosebumps of nice. uh, Gary Paulson's Hatchet I remember deeply um, oh my god how old were you when you read Gary Paulson's Hatchet Oh, gosh. Um, that must have been fourth grade. So that seems about right. Yeah. Or like, like a fair age to read that one. Yeah. Though <laughs> him swimming under the water, I still remember deeply. And everybody says that, right? Yep. I mean, that is the, the one thing that everybody remembers the most from that book. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so you're getting all, all of these different books. Yeah. And uh, sort of the uh, running theme with all of them is that they're standalones. The, mm-hmm. I mean, goosebumps. You you get a, you have a sense of what the book is going to be like, but you don't have a following series. So, Animorphs was the first one that she brought in, and again, she was just grabbing what whatever was popular at the time, uh, bringing in. Oh, these are selling well. I bet Tarver will like these. And so, Animorphs was the first one that she brought home that really had a continuing series that I had mm-hmm. uh, really encountered so far. Um, there were a couple other ones that sort of had a series that never really hooked me the same way. But, um, yeah, I started reading those and asked her for those, and she kept bringing them home when I, uh, when they were coming out. And uh, eventually I moved back to North Dakota to live with my father, and by then it became a ritual. Every, every month, every other month, I would go out with my dad or my grandmother. Uh, we'd go to Barnes & Noble, pick up the latest book, uh, and I can still remember awesome. that that vivid excitement of looking at the shelves and seeing everything that was there already, and boom, right at the tail end, oh, there's the new one. And this like steadily growing stack yeah. of colors, right? Like um, watching a series be like, oh, there's only five books available, and now there's like thirty. Like um, Magic Treehouse, you look at the yeah. shelf of Magic Treehouse now, and you're like, Jesus Christ, there's <laughs> like two hundred of those, you know? Right. Um, and, and in the same sense with the Animorphs, you, you, you start to f- feel the, the, the weight of the rest of the, the, the previous stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, it, it was practically a ritual uh, as the series went on where I'd go into the bookstore with my family. Um, nice. And whenever side stories came out, the uh, uh, Andalite Chronicles... I think that Chronicles. was like 2000... Um those were starting to be a thing, or that's when Elemist Chronicles came out yeah. um, that I was just looking at. 
Yeah, it's it was later in the series life that they really brought out a lot of those bigger ones. I wonder. I'm just looking now in the. Oh, Andalite Chronicles was '97. It looks like. Okay. So. So, that wasn't so far in. Yeah, because if they started mm-hmm. in '96, so like 1999 is when they f- came out with the first Choose Your Own Adventure version, the, the game book version. If we don't want to use the uh, trademark. <laughs> Um, no, you go ahead. <laughs> and then the second one came out two thousand. Yeah, that one. Those were fun because you get to pick which creature you want to morph into, and <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a hoot. You die or get stuck, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> and so, talking about this with your mom, just sort of reliving it. Was there anything like new that you were sort of like, oh, I didn't know that, or I didn't think about that before, like your experience of the series? Uh, mostly, she just attested to how much I was really just eating it up right from the beginning. Because again, like I say, my most vivid memories are of going to the bookstore with my dad after I had moved back uh, when I was sort of in deep super fan mode. Mm -hmm. So it was, I really didn't remember much about uh, the initial experience of, oh, my mom's bringing these home. I mean, in, in part, it makes sense because like, uh, there's not that active pursuit of going to the bookstore. Uh, but yeah, my mom said I, I was uh, reading them all right up, right away. Welcome back, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's back. We have water again, guys. Back again. Success. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, um, we were talking about Tarver's first experience with Animorphs, and I think you and I talked about ours a little bit, but you, you started reading them when you were in fifth grade, Ben. Is that right? Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, I'm pretty sure I picked up book one from the start. I think I, like, I don't think it was that. I think there were several already out, and I read book one, and I was like, shit, cool. I'll order all the other ones in the next Scholastic Book Fair. Well, and how did you pick it up? Like, how did it come into your life? Uh, Scholastic Book Fair. Nice. We're talking, like, <laughs> okay. classic, Great. original, like, legit, dumb, thin paper, you know. This you is why you... Circle you're... what books, and you give it to your grandma, and she, you know. This is why you're a book fair boy and I'm a regular boy. Because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I, although I did get plenty of scholastic book fair books uh, back in like second grade and third grade. Yeah, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I was getting these either brought home to me or I was going to the bookstore myself. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, so I have a really important question for you, Tarver. As yes. a super fan, oh boy. Um, a self proclaimed super fan, who is the best animorph? And okay. who's the worst animorph? See, I was worried that the uh, super fan question was, uh, what is Elfangor's full name? Which I would not have been able to provide. <laughs> oh, man. I am not that kind no, of we're not, we're not, We're not getting into those sorts of like nitty-gritty details. Yeah, what's Cassie's favorite food? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you choose your favorite child? Um, really, I think <laughs> back then, I really was attached to bias the most. Um, Tobias was such a fascinating situation, a fascinating character, and I mean, to go from being stuck in a morph to being able to morph again, but he'd be trapped in a human body if he stayed too long, uh, sort of that ethical question, well he could abandon it and be back to what he was before wanting to protect his mother um, and then later in the game, discovering that he's related to Elfangor, like there's what? This, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I got news for you. Um, there's just this, such a wild arc to his story in general, mm-hmm. to go from outcast who's trapped in a morph to something that's so much more um, empowered. Well, but, and I imagine that, like, um, you know, he he also has a lot of personal. I, I, I think we talked about this in the first episode, but he has, it seems, the most personal stuff going on, um, even before they become animorphs. Like he's being shipped between um, his aunt and uncle. I think yep. it is, um, and he is definitely sort of the weird outsider. So for someone who did move um, a fair amount as a kid and like um, also felt sort of like an outsider, Tobias was definitely my favorite character as well. Yeah. I feel like that was, yeah, go ahead. And similarly, uh, like I said, I had just moved from uh, North Dakota, well, Minnesota, to uh, California. And Mm -hmm. I had been moving around schools around that same time too. So I'm sure that there are some echoes there for me. 
Yeah. Yeah. Tobias is also the one that feels like he's least afraid to be emotional as a boy. Like yeah. I mean, Jake is talking about his emotions. So it's all from the first person perspective of all these stories. So you get the emotional world of these characters, but like Monster, uh, Monster, um, Marco has layers of posturing. Monster. <laughs> Marco has Marco has layers of posturing. Yep. Uh, Jake is like constantly conflicted, mostly about his role, but yeah. like less about the things that are happening in the world. But like Tobias is just sad, and yeah. he's just okay being sad and allowed to be sad, and like feels all his feelings. And, and he, I feel like you don't get a lot of male protagonist characters from that era that have that kind of I don't know emotional intelligence about their own feelings and their own way of being in the world right? absolutely mm-hmm. i mean you see it with both jake and marco even their good qualities are come off as sort of protective masculinity in its own way like jake having to be the ringleader and uh really make the decisions and be responsible for everybody else and with marco it's sort of being the goofball and seeming just being the entertainment whereas mm-hmm. you know tobias even before he's trapped he's like this is I'm I'm getting so much joy flying around. I don't want to morph out, <laughs> guys. <laughs> exactly. And obviously, part of that is foreshadowing, but part of it too is like he's given the room and the freedom to like just be happy and be joyful, which is so much more rewarding knowing that he's normally so down and so sad. Yeah, yeah. Well, and looking back at this as an adult, there's um, something that an understanding of or a gained understanding of stories does for being able to see the foreshadowing in things where there isn't necessarily like quote unquote foreshadowing Mm. like now you know as a kid i I might not pick up on this because i hadn't been exposed to as many stories as i have now but um now reading a story of a character is like um and i just you know i've never felt like i belong anywhere like oh well wait an hour (laughs) man because you're (laughs) this like unlikely team of thieves is gonna be um and there's looking a looking for someone who has your very specific Lego skill set. <laughs> yeah, coincidence. Um, and um, there's a sense reading these books now as an adult that I have like that, um, where I'm like, okay, it's not necessarily foreshadowing, but I can sort of see the things that she's setting up. It's promises and and you know fulfillment, right? Like yeah. Every story, like the way that story when stories are efficient, when a novel is efficient every bit of information, every bit of em- every emotional beat is going to have a payoff. Right. So you have your promises, you have your payoffs. And I think what she does very well, especially with Tobias, but with a lot of the characters is um, usually your first person perspective character is going to have some sort of like offshoot thing that they're dealing with. And the whole story is going to be centered around that. And you just, if you read the first two chapters and you pay attention, you're like, okay, I know what this book, whole book is going to be about. Yeah. And I think she does that really well. Um, I mean, structure, structure, structure. She's yep. a, a structure person, yeah. I think. Right, and, y- and yet those structures act very differently with each of the characters, um, which is to say that although Tobias probably was my favorite back then, or at least the one I related to the most, uh, I really didn't think she had a weak character amid the main mains. Hmm. There was something about all of them that I would say, oh, that is so cool about that person. I really like that about them. I just loved the whole whole set. <laughs> <laughs> right. Give him a nice Harbor, I'm cool. still going to hold your feet to the fire here yeah. and say, who is the worst anamorph? Uh-oh. Wow. Uh-oh. If you had to throw one of your children off the boat, which one's going first? Um, It was David. He was the worst. Oh, <laughs> fuck, we haven't met David yet. David, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. David's wow. the worst. And that's all right, because he's oh. a rat now. Oh, Does he shit. get stuck as a rat? Yeah, that's what they do. So David is the, there's a trilogy amid the regular series. Um, It's just one of the numbered books. And it's a three book uh, situation where they give this guy, this another, another boy, uh, the power as well. And so Mm -hmm. suddenly he's the the seventh Animorph and uh, it ends with him being trapped on an island, uh, being trapped as as a rat. rat. As a rat. As a rat. Wow. Wow. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. yeah, he's he's the worst. He's the worst yeah. of all of them. All right, all right, all right. So, it, 
That's my choosing the answer. <laughs> no, no, that's a fair answer. I no, mean, it's, yeah. it's an it's an informed answer. I don't even know who David is. I don't think I made it that far in the series. I, I, I definitely did not. I, I didn't, so I'm not trying to establish cred here. I didn't abandon Animorphs. I did reach a point where, because we were moving a lot, it was just difficult to get the books. Mm-hmm. And um, this yeah, was also fair. the era of the like Star Wars expanded universe being the hot shit in the world, right? Oh, like, shit, you yeah. Know, where you had like all these other books like... Uh, Galaxy of Fear? Did you read Galaxy of Fear? I did read Galaxy of Fear. I read fucking Shadows of the Empire. I mean, everybody read Shadows of the Empire, but I read Shadows mm. of the Empire, I read Galaxy of Fear. I read like all of these like books with these like photorealistic covers of Luke Skywalker and yeah. Leia. You know, oh my god, like, they uh, they are gorgeous art. Um, like yeah, um, beautiful covers, and so like those became the the replacement, unfortunately, for my my Animorphs when I would come back to the states because I like couldn't get like all of the Animorphs books regularly, so I just, like, stock up on mm-hmm. three or four Star Wars well, books and, and those back with me. And that's right. I, I forgot. You were moving around a lot, too, as a kid. Um, do you think... Was Tobias your favorite character? Do you think there was a, a link there? Oh, Tobias was by far my favorite character. I think That's that, really interesting. Like, I, I mean, I... I, I would have guessed he would be the underdog. Yeah. I, it's the underdog element. I, I think that there's something to, about him that is... I, I don't want to say, like, like queer but it's non-gendered right like that's it's he's just not masculine he's right. not masculine the way the yeah, other characters that's, are that's like true. he's not he's not a slave to masculine stereotypes he's not trying he's okay with being emotional and so like as a boy that wasn't i, I don't i wouldn't say like highly emotional but was like you know artistic and interested in writing and stories like like oh yeah i feel sad sometimes too and it's nice to have somebody be like i'm sad yeah and not be like yeah I'm sad, but I'm also cool, which is like Jake, or I'm sad, but I'm also funny, which is Marco. Like, Tobias right. was just like, yeah. I'm sad, and I want to kill myself. Well, <laughs> and, like, and that's oh, an interesting shit. point. I so mean, you know, that was really on the edge of, like, really talking about um, dangerous masculinity. I mean, Fight Club came out in, like, 96, the book, and the movie came out in maybe 97. Sure. Um, yeah. so right in that books, same area, yeah. Yeah, so these books were coming out in the same uh, years that people were just starting to talk about this idea of, like, the bored, white, consumer male. Mm -hmm. um, And the anger and frustration that comes with that, you know, which I think in a lot of ways was sort of an obvious extension of, like, American dream frustrations in, like, the 50s and 60s and, like, um, Levittown area and everything that came after that. Um, But really exploring that in children's literature wasn't really a thing until... No, right. This time. Well, I don't even know that it still is a thing, to be honest. I'm not like up on children's literature, but if you, <laughs> yeah, like, I genuinely you know, do not know. I, I, <laughs> like. I, well, but I mean, like, I, so I, I could be completely wrong about this, but like, children's literature tends to work in tropes, um, right? And the books that we've been reading for Book Fair Boys, the books that like I've been, you know, just kind of casually looking at to see if it's interesting for Book Fair Boys, even the stuff that I've been revisiting, like Holes, that's like you mm. know, Newberry winner, you know. Like, it's all still tropey, and, like, male masculine tropes are the norm. Like, and, you know, you want your character to be three-dimensional, so usually they are. But, like, it's not unusual to have... It's, or let's put it this way. It is unusual, I think, still. The, the level of not emotional honesty, the level to which Tobias is a slave to his emotions, right? Because it's not just that he's honest about them. It's that he is driven by them, and he's unable to necessarily, like he's not able to like look at them, understand them and stop them from happening. Like he almost flies into a fucking like plate glass window because he just wants to stop being a hawk and wants the dream to end. Like that's, and that's something that's really, I think brave and unusual for, for children's literature in general, because like Mm -hmm. you want to play with your tropes and you want your characters to be empowered because kids are already so disempowered. So like Jake and, and Marco are empowered characters because they're able to control their situation in some way or another. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, along those same lines, you know, Tobias being that sort of outcast and being an outsider allowed him that breathing room as a character as well, because every, all the other uh, Animorphs really had their shtick that they fell into. Um, and I feel like some sort of grew with their shtick a little bit better than others. I remember being very fascinated, especially toward the end, with how 
Cassie dealt with, you know, she was always a pacifist. She was always the least um, tuned in to fighting because she was all because she loved animals and she loved nature and she was such an environmentalist. Rachel was always so interesting because she just uh, again, you know, breaking uh, gender norms. She was the badass. Um, I feel like all of them kind of got trapped in who they were as personalities and Tobias had more room to have those othered emotions as he went along. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. I, I mean, he was a really uh, interesting and dynamic character. I mean, if you think about like the the four sums or five sums of the 90s, right? Like, I mean, the big ones that pop to mind are like the Power Rangers and... Mm-hmm. Friends. I mean, like Saved by the Bell, right? Yeah, Friends, yeah. Saved by the Bell, right? Like they've all got, they've got stock character types and you can really one-to-one a lot of the characters in Animorphs to the stock ter- character types, except for Tobias. I mean, he's kind of like Billy, but he's not super smart. He's not like yeah. the smart guy, you know? He's not the one that, like, he's he's the outsider, but he's not, like, got redeeming qualities that are related to, like, his smart intelligence that is that make him a, a valuable member of the crew. What, like, makes him a valuable member of the crew is that he's, like, unrelentingly committed to this fight because he's given everything for it. And exactly. that's a really a unique like way to build a stock character. I mean, it's different from the other sort of, you know, yeah, uh, I guess if you're looking at like collaborative or group stories, like he's he's very unique in that way. Well, I have another question for you, Tarver. Sure. Um, you just read the um, graphic novel adaptation of the first Animorphs book. Yes. Um, mm. And there's been a lot of talk forever since Animorphs has come out about like uh, rebooting the TV series with a bigger budget or doing a movie <laughs> or something. Oh, that I want to know. <laughs> yeah, um, I want to know where you want to see Animorphs go next. Like, like what uh, medium or like what what thing do you want to see next from Animorphs? I, I really would love to see the graphic novel continue. Uh, they did a great job with that. It felt very in the spirit of Animorphs. Um, it's funny, I thought that the kids looked younger than I remembered them in my head, but that would make sense <laughs> because they would have been, the age that they are in the story would have been older than I was when I read it. <laughs> so they looked mm. older to me back then. Um, I think the graphic novel, it would be a great way to bring this story to a new generation. And I think they did it spectacularly the art was great and the pacing was really spot on uh so many times when i was reading the graphic novel i was like oh i remember that scene in the original it's so cool to see this alive with that in mind i would be very leery about uh some kind of tv show um i could see it being animated maybe not cgi Mm -hmm. but and, and maybe it's because the tv show uh, w- was so corny. <laughs> it was, it was bad. Um, <laughs> but um, I, it would why be. Why do you hate Canadian TV? Yeah, see, there it is. Harbor. Yeah, <laughs> I just always live so close to the border. TV. Yeah, they they're just so good at uh, bringing out my Minnesotan accent if I'm not careful. <laughs> um, but uh, I, a quick shout out to Chris Grine, who is the uh, person that does the visuals for mm-hmm. that, and it is he really spectacular, really, job. really nice work. Um, I, I, it's, it's like kiddish. Um, it's very cartoony and I I can see why, like looking at this, it would feel like that would be a a good next step is to try to do something like, you know, animated in this style, Yep. but it's, yeah, it's very beautiful work. Right. If they were to do a show that was animated just like this, I think it could be successful. Um, but even with today's like CGI, I, I, I don't think they could pull off a live action easily. I think a cartoon could be really interesting. And who do you think should helm that show? Like, who would I think K.A. Applegate should helm that. <laughs> she helmed <laughs> this graphic novel. But I mean, that like, you know, if we could get the John Favreau to like pump life back into <laughs> oh, the franchise yeah. or whatever. Like, I don't know. I'd, I'd, she has had such a strong creative control over this the whole time that I wouldn't necessarily trust anybody else with it. And well, clearly, so she wouldn't either. They just walked away from that. Um, did they? I didn't hear about that. Right? Did they? So uh, was it a, a visual ad- adaptation of some kind? Or? 
Uh, I was going to say, visual style-wise, uh, my dream has been, uh, I'm going to look up who, who it is, but um, the people who did the the Castlevania uh, reboot, the Castlevania series on Netflix, like, that's some fucking beautiful animation. And it's a very dark. I don't want to g see Animorphs go dark. Um, but, like, there's something about the body horror element that's related to, like, all of the morphing that's very consistent in the text that I think, like, you got to get, I mean, it's just comical in the TV show to watch these people morph into things. You know what I mean? Right. Or like suddenly it's just a blue horse or suddenly it's just a, a thing. It's just like this absurd, you know, limited budget. Right. I think if you could get some real um, talent behind, you know, the actual creative elements of animation, um, you could do some really beautiful stuff with some of the morphing right. and some of the, and, and that's where, you know, your, your bread and butter is, is the aliens and the morphing when it comes to like the visual style of this thing. Um, Cause the story is already pretty solid. So you don't want to change anything there, um, which makes me feel like that would be a good mix. But I don't know, that's, I, I'm just really hot on them right now. I rewatched season two recently of Castlevania and I'm, I'm super into whoever that is. Let me see who that is so I can shout them out real quick. Yeah, um, yeah there was a, movie adaptation in the works Kay Applegate and Michael Grant her husband uh, split over creative differences which I feel like is pretty much the kiss of death for a movie adaptation although Stephen King has said too that um, whenever someone is adapting uh, one of his works uh, and they ask for his creative input he knows that it's going to be bad he's learned that like they don't understand the work enough on their own yeah. to do it justice or something like that. Hmm. I forget exactly how he framed it, but that was his take. Makes sense. I, I know this doesn't translate well to a podcast, but I did link uh, a picture of an article that has, uh, or rather an article that has a picture of the morphing in the graphic novel. And I can Ooh. see how <laughs> if you were to take that more realistic, semi-realistic, I'm looking at the Castlevania images now, that you could really get into some body horror and as you say like it, it seems like they didn't shy away from it in the uh books like they they wanted it to seem horrific when you transition from an animal to a uh, a human or other, other vice versa yeah well and the aliens too i mean she establishes true stakes with her threats so mm -hmm. like these these morphs that fisser three has always in his back pocket that are for any particular situation they find themselves in right like yep. are are really truly terrifying sounding Cthulhu mm -hmm. creatures very often. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And on that same line, I, I was, was always impressed back then that uh, there was a book that finally found a way around the sort of Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fighting. Because <laughs> most of the <laughs> group fighting back then I was used to like, oh, they're just beating each other up. Or, oh, they happen to be robots so it's not blood, it's oil. Uh, but Kay Applegate, she leaned in on this. She's like, this is violent. This is war. Because she can, you can transform, or because you can morph. There's no worry. Like they, they get injured. They get bleeds. They get cut. They nearly die, and you can get away with it in the plot. Well, and, that was and, and they do true violence to other people. I mean, there's yeah. a whole lot of like. Uh, I mean, you know, most of it's done to taxons because taxons are the bad ones. But there's, like, I mean, the number of, like, Hork-Bajir eyes that Tobias rakes out of yep. their skulls. Um, and, and, and honestly, like, the number of humans that just, like, fall after Jake swipes them as a tiger and just, like, lay there. You're like, shit, this guy's <laughs> fucking killing people. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I mean, you like, don't it, get it up is, after you've been it's very, tiger swiped. It's very like, intense. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't get up after a tiger swipe, even if you're still alive. But I mean, like he and the, she does leave the ambiguity of like that. But I mean, there's I think of uh, book four um, with Marco, where he like uh, finds those two people in the alleyway who are robbing some old man. He like throws a fucking dumpster at one of them. And he's like, <laughs> and the guy just was like, he's like, the guy just laid there. Yeah, uh, it's like, that's, no, he did. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that guy is severely injured that's yep. a severely injured yeah. human at the very least like, yeah just yeah. lying there is all he's going to be doing i would love to uh, speaking of like new media i would love to get my hands on an animorphs video game i think that could be a ton of fun oh, uh, being able to choose which morph you go into and yeah like you have a couple different like situation. customizable options like you hit 
um, up on the D-pad and the Tiger Morph yep. shit. I think it could be red on it. Yep. Yeah. Get in here, you guys. (laughs) Or like get Naughty Dog to do like a a nice like slow burn dark narrative. Um, All from Tobias's perspective, of course. (laughs) Yeah. But pre being able to morph again. (laughs) It's just him as a bird. (laughs) All these other people are doing morphs, but you don't get shit. You just I hear that's sort of what the event, the recent Avengers game was like. That you're playing as an Avenger, but all you're doing is like running around, flipping switches, and jumping. That's yeah, uh, and and everybody looked just slightly off. It was like uh, pe- I've I've seen multiple yeah. people say it's like uh, you're playing Avengers if you ordered it from Wish.com. <laughs> yeah, they, we didn't quite get the rights to Robert Downey. You like, you like went to Chinatown and there was like a, a little plastic case and yep. you just picked it up and it says Avengers on the side. You take it home and put it in your computer and there you go. This is yep. what you got now. Yeah, or like those dollar store toys that are like Super Guy and it's a G on his chest. <laughs> uh, but So Tarver, yeah. I think that before we close out, we have to know... Um, as a super fan, right? And this is not going to be a, a trivia question. This is qualitative. Um, what is your standout Animorphs moment? What's the moment that you feel like sell, sells the series to someone who might not necessarily be super into it? I don't know if you can remember the book, but like, if you had to recommend, like, all right, this is what makes the series great. Like, yeah, what is that is moment, a... and and where does it? Where do you? Yeah, where do you tell people to start? This is a great question to close on. Oh man. I'm going to have to think on this one for a little bit. Let me (laughs) think about all the different moments. Um, One of the things that I love about Animorphs is the wide diversity to the series as a whole. There are big sweeping fights. There are, you know, little intimate moments. um, And there's such a range. So it depended upon who I was talking to. Mm. Um, one of the moments that struck with me, stuck with me, I think it's in book one, almost certainly, um, and I was reminded about it again in the graphic novel, was when Jake and the gang are on the beach, Tobias, or no, Tom is talking to them, his, his older brother Tom, who at that point he knows is a controller. Tom is like, yeah, you should join the sharing. You should become a full member. It'll be great. And he's smiling at him, and his face kind of contorts. Because Tom inside is fighting against the Yurk and is suddenly like, you will not do this to my brother. So that would be the first moment that jumps out at Mm. me just because I've read the graphic novel. But one of my favorite moments was when Cassie starts talking to a whale. (laughs) like, (laughs) Which is so perfect in so many ways. And I think that was pretty early on, too. I think that might have even been the first. Yeah, that's book book four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It is book four. So my Marco thing was book five. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Book yeah, four. Yeah. Um, but it, one of the things that struck me when I first started reading it was like, wow, they're always going to be fighting against the instinct. Oh, no. It's like when they're a fly, they're going to have to not want to fly around. And when they're a bird, they're not going to want to fly around. And when they're a dog, they're not going to sniff things. And I think Cassie, especially, her first first book just flipped it all in the head. Like, no, there are moments that the instincts work for you and hmm. there are moments that you can be elevated because of the animal instincts. And now you're talking to a whale who's like, yeah, there's something suspicious under the water over there. You better check it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great, great. So That's a great way to put that too, that you can um, take the instincts and, and use them. Yeah. And you know, rather than that was one of the things that always impressed me with this series was all the different ways she experimented and toyed with all of these elements that she came up with. You yeah. know, everything under the sun you could imagine she comes up with. And yeah. I, I've just, to this day, I've been always impressed. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing when you take a simple concept like teenagers turn into animals as a metaphor for puberty, but then you take it and you're <laughs> like, let's just run with this thing. Like, yeah. let's think through all of the ins and outs of this. Let's play with like, various scenarios and she does yeah. i mean so I, I i think that's i agree with you like that's what has staying power like rereading it and finding delight in all of these moments it's largely because it's like 
oh yeah, as an adult, I can also understand this in a different way. Like as a teenager, it meant something to me, but as an adult, like there is a lot of interesting stuff going on in right. every single one of these books. Mm-hmm. And in so many different layers. I mean, you got the fight scenes, if you just want a little bit of mindless wrestling. You have so many emotional <laughs> moments, uh, so much dyna- so many different dynamics. And even though, again, as we were talking earlier, like they do fit certain stereotypes, um, you still see sort of the genuine spirit behind all of their personalities. Yeah. And it's still rewarding when you see those personalities clash because you you have that expectation, oh no, this is going to look real bad because this and this and this. And because she has held such creative control and as she knows these characters so well, like it, there's always that payoff. Yeah. Nice. That's a good uh, ad for the series. Um, <laughs> always that payoff. Yeah. Yeah. Put it on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you don't have to know Elfango's full name. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, yeah. But it certainly uh, helps. Um, yeah, thanks, man, for coming on. It was really fun to talk to you about Animorphs. Um, yeah, thank you for inviting me. It's, yeah. uh, any moment I can get to talk about Animorphs, I will. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Tarver, before you go real quick, um, anything to shout out? Do you have any, uh, any upcoming stories? Anything that's uh, exciting that you want to plug? Yeah, any plugs? Um, Nothing of my own. Uh, I have things in the works that Sam knows about that are exciting. Oh, it's true. It's yeah. very true. But I, the, that's still under wraps. Um, All right. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, look secrets. for secret projects uh, <laughs> from Tarver from down the Tarver road. From Nova yeah. coming down the road. Um, yeah. But I, I do want to shout out the, the graphic novel because, you know, I want to see Chris Grind do more with this and they clearly have the same spirit going into this as she did when she first wrote it. So it it felt very honest. We'll put the link to the graphic novel uh, and the information for this episode. So people can check out the art and, you know, at the very least check out the art and then Mm -hmm. maybe buy the book if you're interested. Yeah, man. Have a a great um, Tarver works night, so he's going to sleep now. Have a great sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's 11 a.m. <laughs> but, um, um, and, uh, yeah, may the yeah. Condrona shine upon you and give you strength. Yeah, may it Glorious. shine and strengthen you. I think. Yeah. <laughs> See, the, there's, even the Yurks can be optimistic. If you can't have your own son, you just bring your own, you make your own son. You wherever bring you, it with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lesson from the Yurks, number three. Um, <laughs> Bring your own song. Uh, yep. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Right. Take care. <laughs> uh, I'm shutting down. <laughs>